something i really want to ask everyone oh okay what is it well should we introduce ourselves first this is two girls one ghost i had a burp i'm so sorry okay <laughs> two girls one ghost aiden you can leave that everyone burps everybody burps. you know that's what happens when um you don't sleep actually You're no human. when you just are human but i haven't slept actually Normal. i saw okay i know i said i have a question to ask i do but i my brain ah hi okay that's what three hours of sleep does to someone <laughs> it's wow i think i'm so fun when i'm sleep deprived like i love myself right now I'm like, Hell yeah. delirium <laughs> i love myself <laughs> i'm working on loving myself when i'm normal but really love myself when i'm delirious anywho last night spotify invited both corinne and i to their stream on event to like celebrate creators and spotify which, Corinne, you unfortunately did not come to, but yeah, I was front row Tough light. for Gwen Stefani, Rita Ora, and Leon. It was so fun. Oh. And it was in this, t- it was in the, at the Damn. Roxy. It was tiny, tiny, tiny. I've never been to the Roxy. So cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't it really so small? So small. Anyway, it was really, really fun. Intimate. Yes. It makes me want to get a studio where we can put our Spotify light above us. My goodness. <laughs> I know. We'll just have to like lean it against our. Yeah. Backdrop. Okay. So I have been thinking, and every time we record, I'm like, oh, I should ask this. So I really want to get a ghost tattoo, but I mm. want it to be like a cute, dainty tattoo that kind of embodies our our podcast. A wispy little. Yeah. Like very dainty. Like I'm going to get it small. I don't know where yet, but it, I just want it to be small. And I've been trying to Google ghost tattoos and I can't find one that I actually really like. So my call to phantoms is two things one if you have a ghost tattoo will you send us what it looks like because maybe i'll copy you or two if anyone wants to help design (laughs) my tattoo i would love 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 your doodles of ghosts yeah also there's a ton of people on tiktok who design very dainty looking or like line simple line tattoos oh that's my favorite if you comment and say ghost tattoo or just stalk their page i'm sure there's a few too i love the simple where are you gonna get it i don't know yet i don't know i really like like i like what kind of want to add to my arm somewhere oh you would actually be so cool with a sleeve like i can see you having a full sleeve (laughs) i really can that would be sick it's so funny. I I don't know if it was TikTok or if it was real life because who knows what's what's what anymore. Someone took off a sweatshirt and like when with the sweatshirt on, you think they're, you know, they look like me. And then they took off their sweatshirt and their whole arm was just tatted and sleeved. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, so badass. It's so badass. One of my old coworkers, all of his tattoos are done in red ink. It's only red and it looks so so cool oh. because when they're new, they're kind of like this bright orangey yeah. red. But then after a few months, they turn into this like deep, oh, like a, almost a Merlot, but Ooh. it's it's still pretty red. And all of his tattoos, like it just, he looks like an art piece. Like it's beautiful. Well, this is a little hint about this episode, which I'm sure people will already know because of the description. But I think you're covering an artist. And then my listener story at the end is about a tattoo artist. So I was like, 
I was like, this is already on my wow. mind and how perfect it's all coming together. But yeah, so. How serendipitous. Would love. All would of us here together. Love the Phantom's help. Additionally. Yeah, let us know, artists. Additionally. Let Sabrina know. My computer is freaking out and my camera's moving because Leia is jumping on and off the table. Uh, Thundercat. And Thundercat. having the zoomies off screen. We, if you uh, were paying attention to our feed, last week we dropped a very special episode with Patrick from True Crime Obsessed. And yes. we are going to start doing some episodes more often like mm. that. Yeah. Once a month, we will have a guest. Yeah. We will be haunted with a guest on our podcast feed. Yes. So if you have any suggestions, we already have a pretty sweet lineup of some people over the next couple months, yeah. which if you are on our Patreon, if you're a member of our Patreon, Patreon, if you're a patron, you will get sneak peeks of who those people are before the episodes come out. And the sneak peeks that we have created are pretty obvious who who those people are. So it doesn't take much guesswork. Um, So you'll get the information ahead of time if if you're a patron. But regardless of if you're on Patreon or not, let us know who you would like to suggest for having on our podcast. And also, I don't know. Maybe spam all your favorite podcasters and oh, be like, yeah. you should be a guest on Two Girls One. You should collab with Two Girls One Ghost. You know, help us. We out. would love. I feel like the help us get people's digits. Yeah, seriously. And I just feel like our little podcast. It's not little because the podcast community is massive, but our podcast friend network is just growing this year. And it makes me so mm-hmm. happy because one, I feel like a lot of podcasters are hilarious. Yeah, everybody's such a good time. Yeah, and I just feel like we are all kind of kindred spirits that are all meant to be friends, and it makes me really happy. And interestingly enough, almost every single podcaster has a ghost story, so it really works out well for us. Oh, Leia! No! Miss Leia! She just started eating my camera cord. Oh, no! Wait. Girl. And she looks dangerous. Leia, look at me. Come here. Look at me. I have a picture of her. She kind of looks what's like What's the background of your what's Oh, it's your so good. I love it. <laughs> it says never better and it's a skeleton with thumbs up in a coffin. Go check it out on YouTube if you want to see what it looks like. <laughs> never better. Never better. <laughs> That's super fitting for you. Yes. Because it's ironic and sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just watching a video before this because we had to take a little rest <laughs> before we started recording. Because um, the entire to- internet and cell service Your shut power. down. Yeah. I'm just glad it happened just before. We were like about, about to, to record. record. Yeah. And then well. glad it didn't happen in the middle. But of course I was scrolling on TikTok to wait until the power came back on. And I was watching a video that had to do with Dolores Cannon. And it was some stuff that she said about like the second wave of beings and that there are certain people like basically humans whose souls are in this second wave and they're not here necessarily for like a life purpose in the way that we often think of life purposes. But they're there to create really good positive energy and be these generators and give all of this like light to people. And some of the characteristics of people that are in this sort of like second wave of generators are people that actually like to spend a lot of time at home and alone because being around a lot of other people is... And I was thinking that it's you. Because Joe even told me. I feel like I talk about Joe so much that I'm I, people are going to be like, Is shut it, well, up. Well, every week you go and yeah. you have something new to, 
to discuss. So Joe told me basically that I am a generator. He said, when you're in spaces, people become more energized, which naturally drains you, but people feel open and like energized around you. And like, even he was like, I usually like these sessions are pretty, you know, surface level conversations, but I just have, I just can't stop talking. I have so much I want to share with you. And I keep like sharing so much. <laughs> And, and I was like, well, I love this, Joe, because I feel like I'm learning so much. He also, oh my gosh, he told me so many fascinating things. He also told me that I have reached a place where I have finally overcome and put my ancestral traumas, my family's traumas, my past, not my personal traumas necessarily, because still working through that, but like the generational trauma I finally have put behind me. And so- That is huge. And he said he reached that point at- he reached that point when he was like 28 and he basically saw a version of God who was like, your time on earth is over. Like you've done what you've come to do. And he looked back at earth and saw these little lights on earth and the embodiment of God, whatever you want to call it was like, those are the people. Is Leia tap dancing in the background? What is going on? Um, I think trash construction demons. I don't know. What's the difference? I hope the microphone's not picking it up. But if it is, sorry. This is a podcasting from home. And that was Leia, the earthquake in the video. (laughs) And he said, the embodiment of God, you can call it whatever you want, higher power, said those are, those lights signify the people you have brought and taught lessons to. And Joe was like, that's not nearly enough. And he was like, I'm not done. My time here is not done. And he basically decided to stay back. And he felt his astral body come back into his physical body. Holy crap. He is magic. That is, yeah, but okay. Yeah, that is magical. But it's also making me scared for you that you've now healed this part of you. You're not allowed to get in a car. It's my rule for me. Since <laughs> you think you're going to die in a car accident. And now you're like reaching this enlightenment for this lifetime. No, I mean, I'm definitely not. I mean, I'm not near there yet. But I think I mean, what we just learned, Corinne, uh, this is a tangent. Gosh, I my brain today. Anywho. <laughs> yesterday, we were talking, I, I can't remember, it might have been brought up by the Joe stuff. And you looked up. Oh, it was brought up by the full moon conversation or blue moon, new moon, the super moon, the super moon. It was I named every moon, type so of I was moon having except my for the super, super period. Moon. But we looked up our Saturn returns and found out that mine just started on February 3rd. And I was like, excuse me. So what the hell have I been going through the last year and a half? It's funny because your therapist had said, oh, you're probably in your Saturn return. And you just took that as I'm in my Saturn return. And so we've been thinking that you've been in your Saturn return. And then I was like, oh, this super moon, a lot of people are saying that this is basically rounding off the the Saturn returns for a lot of people. And this is coming to a close and there's this new period. And and it signified a lot of things in like the witchy and astrology worlds. And so I was like, oh, Sabrina, you might be in that group. Like, it's probably over for you. So then I put in yeah. your birthday, when you were born, where you were born, where you live now, all that information. And yeah, it started actually. It just started. Just one month ago. Just started. And so did yours. Yeah, mine started a, a week or two we're ago. We're in so this we'll together. See. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Maybe, okay. I need to know. I mean, because Saturn returns aren't all No, it's about bad change. Right? It's like a rebirth. So perhaps this was the 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 chapter I am 
closing to to embark on this new Saturn return real chapter was a prelude and was the crumbling. It was the death of my last chapter. And now I'm in my rebirth. Mm, entering the rebirth. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it. A part of my soul definitely it. did die in the last year and a half. Um, so welcoming <laughs> all good, new, positive energy for this. Uh, <sighs> I think really great things are going to happen this year. We're going to be propelled forward. The podcast, us personally, everything is going to fall into place. I sense it. I feel it. I know it to be true. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I'm actually... You don't have to because I'll manifest it for you. Wait, I was just going to say I've started manifesting and I've been writing little like on tiny scraps of paper. If I see a scrap of paper, I write like a manifest, uh, just manifestation and then I burn it or I hide it in different places in like my backpack or in my makeup bag, in my the back of my notebooks. And I'm just hiding them and dating them. And I'm, you know, maybe one day it will fall out and I'll see if it happened. <laughs> I love that. I had a so there's these apartments. Well, they're they're like townhouses in Boston. Mm -hmm. That every time I go by them, I feel so good. I love. Didn't I show you them? Did we walk by them? And I'm like, these are the places that I. I don't know. Love. I don't know. Are I they the know. ones the that decorate Boston, for Halloween? No. Oh. These ones are in the North End. They're, it's like a row of, I don't know, 15 or 16 three-story townhouses that are on the water. Like their decks hover over the ocean and there's an oh. HOA and there's like a pool and it's like a little, there's like a little gate. And basically I walk by it almost every single day. And every time I'm there, it feels like the city is quiet and the world feels peaceful and I feel so warm and fuzzy and good. And I want to live outside of the city. But yet I have this obsession with these places, mm -hmm. which, you know, if if one was for sale, it would probably be, if I had to guess, probably 2.5 oh, to $3 million. So will I have this in my future? Let's manifest <laughs> and hope that I, I could afford it, but it is by no means in the plan. It will be your right city home one day. Yeah. P but the reason that I'm on this tangent right now is because similar to you, doing these manifestations, I do a lot of it on my walk. Like oh, as I walk, I yeah. talk to myself and try to manifest almost every single time. If I'm walking alone, that's like pretty much the entirety of what's happening during my walk. And the other day I was like, you know what? I'm going to manifest this place so hard. And I sat down on a bench and I stared, <laughs> really so creepy, turned my body fully and just stared at someone's apartment for like 45 minutes and was like, I will live here. I will have this home. Like, <laughs> this home is mine. I feel so good. This is a safe space. This is like was doing all my whatever. But those poor people, if anyone looked out their window. You know what? <laughs> just a creeper. You're just doing your own thing. I I kind of have a feeling you're, you're one of those people that has, I think you have the ability to really manifest and put things into the world and get them. So I have, I have strong faith in you one day owning that apartment. I think I will. I actually think I will. I truly think I will. I don't know how, but I, I think that it will be somehow in my possession. Yeah, I agree. Going back to Joe, because this reminds me of that conversation that you were just having. When I was in my last session, he was like, he was talking about what energy he was picking up. He was saying that my body is saying that meditation is not necessarily the way that I'm going to strengthen my astral abilities, my spiritual connection, but it will help. It's helpful, but it won't be the way that mm -hmm. I access it fully. And he said that I need to go out into the sun and he kept getting images of nature. 
and the woods and trees and greenery. And he said, walk. Any water? Because that's like the I didn't. He, the person that we saw in Salem that was told you water for cleansing. Oh, but he said to walk with your chest open and to allow the sun to hit my stomach region, and that the stomach will connect to my heart and like bursting energy will come. Like this is my right here Whoa. is where the energy yeah. is. I feel like you're gonna turn into Shailene Woodley and just start. Getting some sun in your vagina, too. I mean, you know, that's something that she does. Honestly, we all should do that. We all should. I went to a, it was a co ed spa in Santa Cruz, California, 12 years mm-hmm. ago. So I have no idea what the name of it is, but they would have women's mornings. I've told you about yeah. this. And the spa was so incredible. It was mostly outside. It was just like a garden. It was like literally a garden of Eden. That's what it felt like. And there were hot plunges and cold plunges. Oh my gosh. And everyone would just lay out in the garden. And I was 16 and my friend Olivia was 16. And so we were the only two with her older sister wearing swimsuits there. Everyone else was naked and it was the best place. I think that's my nightmare. Just everyone just sprawling out, just chatting on the lawn, hanging out. That's your dream. Let me go plunge into the cold for 10 minutes and burn all my brown fat, whatever. And then go lounge again by the flowers, eat my cantaloupe that I brought. That's literally my nightmare. Uh, Nightmare. What? I mean, it sounds like a dream. I everyone else be naked. That's totally fine. I'm not. I'm not weirded out by other people being naked. I'm so. I hate being naked. I hate. And we've talked about this before. Mm. I hate it so much. It's cold. I, I just there's air in places that I'm not used to getting air in. Oh, I have a question yeah. for you. So I have a year round tan line. No matter what, I my, it looks like I. I just have, I. I'm curious if you have this as well. And obviously, I can't show you what I'm talking about. But like, mm, let me look year round. <laughs> I've I've always I think since childhood I've had this tan um, line. It's never gone away. I have it on my Not boobs really. and like where you would wear a bikini on the bottom. Yeah, I think you're seeing the whitest version that I can possibly be right now. I don't really have one. I have year round. Like it literally. I'm gonna say oh. we're gonna Facetime later and I'll show you. It truly looks okay. like I wore a bikini and was out in the I'm sun yesterday. But I, I haven't. I haven't since last summer. I, I truly just okay. Year I have round. a question for you. Yes. Tell me what what the. I wonder if you'll be able to see it in the light. It's so weird. Do you see this reverse Band-Aid mark on me? No. Oh, you can't see it? What if I go into like the shadow over here? I can't. Can you see it a little no, bit? No, it's too blurry. Oh, okay. It's so weird. For for like a month – well, actually, this has been on me for like three or four months. Hmm. And I thought – since I got the flu shot basically. And so I thought that I had gotten like a weird tan and I was just rocking this like Band-Aid, Band-Aid tan. tan mark. And then I realized that it actually is reverse. Like all the places that the Band-Aid touched is actually – it's like weirdly darker. It's basically the reverse of a tan line with Oh, so the Band-Aid so part is darker? An, I think I got like burnt from my Band-Aid and that's just what it looks like huh. now. It's so weird. Or what if in another reality yourself is wearing a Band-Aid still and you have like a little stain – perpetual flu shots in every single <laughs> dimension. I don't know. My nightmare. I hate needles. What do I know? What do we know? Um, but yeah, curious. Well, Does anyone else have a forever tan line? Because I thought that was normal, but I guess it's not. But yeah. What is normal anyway? I feel like I used to, but I think it was because here's here's something to think about. And I, well, no, never mind. <laughs> 
I was going to give the argument of like, well, you live in a warmer climate and you go on vacations and you're probably more in like a, you're probably occasionally in a swimsuit more often and are getting more sun than you realize to like secure that. But then I realized it's like 40 degrees in California in the winter and you're always wearing oversized sweatshirts. Yeah. So there's really no reason. Okay, wait, for you to- can I go into another room and FaceTime you real quick and you can keep recording but don't show me. And I, okay. I just need you. Okay. You need to see what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to. BRB. I'll you can hear Corinne talk. Okay. Okay. So this is my. Can you see my butt tan line? Like it's always there. Oh. And then I would always. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina just. That was. That was. I think a shock of my life. <laughs> Sabrina. Because of how much what? I hate being I naked. And not- I just showed you everything. I just ended the FaceTime. That was my first time ever seeing your boobs. I just flashed you. Ever. Because every time we ever get dressed in the same room, which has been a million times in our friendship, you turn away. That was my first time seeing your boobs. (laughs) But do you get what I'm saying That shocked me. (laughs) Yes. You have a bikini. You have a bikini. Like permanent. And it's like very clearly a a tan line because it's like uh, your butt tan line too. It's like the cheeky bikini cut. Like you can tell it's from a swimsuit. I can never get rid of it, ever. Oh. <laughs> it's just permanent now. Yeah. Yep. Well, now you always know exactly how white you started because you'll-, you'll But when's the last time it. I was that color? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you need to reverse and put drape some towels <laughs> all over everything except for your butt and your Wear some like chapless and pants. And just lay out there for like 30 minutes yeah. and just get a little sun. Yeah. All right. Bring it all together. Well, thank you One all tone. for joining this journey of me flashing Corinne. This is exciting. I feel like I won an award. <laughs> <laughs> this is like... <laughs> Did you like my boobs? I, like, I'm going to like tear up a little bit. I loved your boobs, Sabrina. I like truly feel like this is monumental in our friendship and I don't really want to record anymore. I just want to like just live the rest of the day <laughs> of enjoyment now. <laughs> Happiness, ecstatic, huge moments. Uh. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad my I wonder my if you breast. could see it in my eyes when I looked down, like how shocked I was that you turned around and just went. <laughs> I thought I was getting only the butt. I was only ready for the butt. And I got so much more and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. I gave you everything. The whole show. Full frontal. Man. Oh, my eyes this switching. This is actually... Did you do naked pregames with us in college? What? Sounds so Absolutely porny. not. Oh, really? <laughs> you didn't do I feel like you created a porno or something and I'm just hearing about it. You know what? Never mind. I'm not going to be able to back myself out of this one. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to explain it in a way that doesn't feel... All right. Here's a pivot. Changing, Great, changing conversation. Help me. A lot of energy in the flashing. Lots. I was in the flash zone. I didn't even didn't even realize the flash zone. That's artwork we need to create. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> just go, Phew. and then you being like, <laughs> wearing a poncho <laughs> with like boobs on it, like the you know like those shirts. <laughs> Two girls, one ghost, baby. That's what it sounds like. Anyway. Sometimes. Here we are. Anyway. Ghost stories. Ghost stories. I have a topic that was suggested. It was recommended on Patreon by our patron, Gabrielle. Um, I also want to credit two sources that I relied on heavily for this information, and that is the Guggenheim Museum and Hilma Afklint Foundation. Oh, okay. Welcome to art class. Oh, 
fun. I am your teacher. <laughs> and I'm going to try to not insult anyone who knows anything about art. Okay. <laughs> studied art history. I'm going to try my best. Okay. Love it. So let's pretend that this is actually like first grade art class. <laughs> and give me give me some grace here. Okay. Okay. Finger painting. But today we're going to learn about we're finger painting and that is the least we could do to honor this woman. It is Europe's first abstract artist, Hilma Ofklint of Sweden. Yes, a woman invented abstract art first, which is not what we were taught in history class. So oh. we are relearning it now because this is newer information. Yeah. Our art history books were telling us that it was a man, that it was Kandinsky, that he was the inventor of the this art movement. But she did it many years before. Oh my god! She did it in 1906. Was the first piece of artwork that she created. She is inventor. She is the founder Love. of abstract art. Is she, so is her first name Hilma? Hilma? Hilma. And then her last name is Off AF Clint. Okay. K L I N T. Hilma Off Clint. But we'll call her mostly Hilma, Hilma. here. She's our friend, She's our friend. Right? yes. We support so Helma, Helma. She painted these – she grew up in Sweden, and she painted these really beautiful, ethereal, and spiritual shapes five years before Kandinsky did, but throughout her life. And she was a pretty much unknown artist for the majority of her life. And by the majority of her life, I mean really her entire life. She had a really small circle of people who she would share her artwork with and, and show people her art. But when she died, she was unknown. She barely sold any of her artwork. So truly, her artistry was not for fame or for money. Yeah. It was very much the love of the medium, the love of making art. I do feel like that is common for a lot of artists. Like yeah, a lot of artists lot of that artists we too. know now as, you know, these notorious, incredible, monumental artists lived a very poor, unsuccessful life. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so many people, isn't that sad that it basically has to take someone passing away and then a hundred years later, their art is con considered groundbreaking right. and, and they're highly revered and they have all of these exhibits in these giant art museums and, they're worth and then they lived thousands. their life poor and thinking that their art just had to be for them because no one else thought it was good. I also wonder who gets the money now because it's not like... <gasps> is this Hilma? Here's Hilma. Oh, she's beautiful. Here's Hilma. We love her. I want a photo like we photo friends like with that. her, right? Well, if we can take one. Let's do it. We'll try to recreate Hilma. So when Hilma died in 1944, no one knew who she was. And so how was someone who was this incredibly talented and who created the first abstract piece of art ever go unnoticed? To start, it was because she was a woman mm -hmm. and female artists were greatly ignored at this time. Yep. Uh, she had no contacts really in the art space and nobody wanted to help her. No one wanted to recognize her talent. Everyone wanted to look at it and maybe they thought, wow, this is incredible. But they were just like, this isn't anything that anyone will take a second glance at. You know, like yeah. they felt very threatened by what she was doing, which was something that was so special and so beyond where the world was at the time. And so she just didn't get any of the recognition. That is so frustrating. But it's it is also super frustrating. historically something that happens and still happens to this day. Yeah. I mean, the proof is that Kandinsky and a few other well-known artists a few years later had basically credited themselves as being the first, if not in the group of the firsts to create this art movement, which was not true. It was just that they were louder 
about it. Other people were way more receptive to them and respected a man creating this artwork. And so they were credited and not Hilma. She was just truly shunned from the art space because she was a woman and also because she was a witch. She was a witch. She was a witch. As if... Or at least that's what people called her. We couldn't have loved her more. Right? This is why yesterday when you called me and you're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm feverishly trying to finish this research about this woman who's so incredible because I couldn't stop reading about her. And I was like, "It's you're going to love it because we totally want yeah. to be friends with her. Would she want to be friends with us? I would hope so. Hilma, if you are with us, I feel like I'm preparing to, ooh, I just got cold. Hilma. 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 We're doing a seance for Hilma. I really just got chills. I don't know if it's because I spooked myself out or what, but I <laughs> truly like tingles. It did get a little colder in my space too. I don't know. Maybe Hilma's with us. Maybe Hilma saw my Are we boobs. The first podcast like, to talk about Hilma. I I'm don't know. Here. Yeah, she's like female empowerment. Yeah. Show your boobs. Free the nips. Little did we know, all of her artwork was actually just painting what happened before, which was you flashing me, just in an abstract art way. You know. Wow, I love to think that. She just real quick glitched to our timeline. Got inspired. We are she her saw muse. Into the future. No. I will not take credit. I will not take credit for that. Hilma was inspired by something probably incredible, not my boobs. She was, and I will tell you about it. Okay. So she got into the art space. Well, as a kid, I guess let's back up. So as a kid, she was super into a few things, art, Mm -hmm. uh, mathematics, and botany. So she loved plants. She loved artwork and colors and different paints and different mediums. And um, math, which she can have that one. She will complete us. <laughs> she'll teach us about botany She will and complete math. us. Yes. And so she went and she studied at the Royal Academy of Fine Arts and graduated with honors. So she was quite brilliant. Wow. And Helma, she strayed away from painting popular portraits and landscapes. She had to do some of it while she was in school. But as soon as she graduated, she was like, she went super down Doing a dark, dark hall. Thing. Yeah. But like truly in down a dark hall fashion, Hilma's artwork evolved into colorful shapes and lines and spheres, but the art wasn't solely hers. It was produced under the guidance of higher spirits called the high masters. Stop. Which this is already, we just on Patreon did a deep dive into, or like a book club on many lives, many masters. Mm -hmm. And throughout this whole thing, I just kept thinking about Brian Weiss talking about the masters coming through and speaking through Catherine, the woman in the book. But this is what happened to Hilma. She called them the high masters because she was a mystic. She was clairvoyant and she would communicate with these spirit guides who would show her these shapes, these abstract forms, and then Hilma would paint them. So they were telling her what she should be painting, what she needed to do, the direction her art needed to go. This reminds me of Joe. Joe like didn't realize what he was doing. He was like, I don't understand this work. Please give me guidance. And he was just like told and shown to do this pressure point stuff. It's so interesting. We did an episode on how Alcoholics Anonymous also became a thing. And it it was also seen in like a trance and and through higher guides directing people. So this happened to Hilma. She was shown these unseen worlds and they were meant to answer questions about humanity and the universe. And these paintings had powerful messages. But she wasn't necessarily given the messages. Mm. She was just told of their importance and told basically, or shown what to paint. And so she herself was also trying to decipher her own paintings. 
So I'm going to show you right now oh. just a grouping of many of her art pieces. She created thousands in her lifetime. Okay. But here's a few. Oh my gosh. Wait, they even look So you can see there's like intergalactic. Yeah, totally. And like the this bottom six, this just reminds me so much of plants and botany yeah. and just like the cellular structures. Right. And there's just there's something so mathematical about all of these drawings as well that it's just it's clearly not just random shapes and blobs together. Right. It's like right? what you would like see. It, it means something more. Yeah. It feels like it's the cosmic makeup. Yes. Totally. Let me show you my very favorite one. Okay. This one is called The Dove, number 12. She painted this in 1915. It looks like a planet. And it reminds me of a tarot card. Oh. Yeah. It looks like Saturn. And then there's two angels kind of hugging each other in the oh. middle. And that's me and you oh. when you showed me your boobs. <laughs> You said that so authentically that I would have thought you wrote that. <laughs> that you knew, you predicted that I was going to flash you. I saw into our future. <laughs> so Hilma, she created many paintings over her lifetime. The majority of them are done under the guidance of these high masters. And her spiritual pieces were not created as individual pieces, but rather as these, these collections. Mm -hmm. So she might create three pieces that are in a collection, she might create a hundred paintings that all belong in one collection. Wow. And this was all under the guidance of these high masters. So it's not just one painting being the key or an answer to something, but rather the whole message that's told from a grouping of paintings. Wow. Each painting informed the other, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Many of them are inspired by nature and meant to explain the unknown. They were all messages. And there's this one series that's pretty famous now from Hilma, and it's called The Paintings for the Temple, which Hilma's guides told her that she needed to show in a temple. And this temple would, quote, be made of alabaster and have an astronomical tower and an internal spiral staircase. Whoa. End quote. So Hilma really wanted this temple to be in Sweden. And she definitely pushed in her lifetime to like try to find this temple or could she build this temple because she got the message mm -hmm. that this needed to be displayed in a temple and she wanted to display the artwork in her in her home country. Right. Only Hilma never displayed her artwork. She tried to display her art a few times, but no one was willing to exhibit her art. In one of her notebooks, she had many, many notebooks, by the way. So she cool. took notes on everything. She wrote, though, in one of her notebooks that the world wasn't ready for the messages that they would receive by viewing her art. It was deeply spiritual and people just wouldn't understand. Selma. So, despite wanting notoriety, not necessarily notoriety, but like wanting other people to enjoy her yeah. art, she understood that her artwork served a greater purpose. Right. And now, she wouldn't necessarily live in the time that that purpose would be fulfilled that or accepted. It's it's so sad for her to have that realization, but it's also very clear to me to for her to have that realization even more solidifies the fact that she was communicating with these higher masters, higher beings mm -hmm. that were probably communicating to her saying, "Hey, you need to paint these pictures, these art, this art." Yeah. But it won't be able to be viewed and seen and understood until yeah, many years later. It won't later. be received during your yeah, lifetime. But you need to do this is your your prophecy, like your your purpose. Right. And she spent her whole life doing yeah, this. Yeah. Good for her. Every moment basically was spent thinking about it, thinking about the world and the universe yeah. and what life is. And if she wasn't 
jotting it down in her notebook or doing some sort of seance, she was painting. Mm -hmm. Wow. So despite the setbacks that Hilma had and not being able to display her artwork, Hilma, being the witch we love, of course, had a coven. And she was the main medium. I die. She had, <laughs> right? She had four female friends, Anna Castle, Cornelia Cedarberg, Sigrid Hedman, and Matilda Nelson. This is what we're trying to build out of our podcast community. <laughs> right? Ladies and tangents, creeps and crimes, morbid. Like, like we're just collecting. Patrick, we're grabbing yeah. Patrick Kynes. We're just getting everybody. Collecting all of the, we're making a coven. We totally are. And everyone in here is in the TGH yeah. coven anyway. So this is going to be a freaking giant one. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds it's of people. It's a new religion. Our new religion. Hey, whatever. <laughs> the religion is you get to believe in whatever, whatever you, you want to believe. Yes. So long as you're kind and happy. Yes. And now we can evade taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's problem. what you've been after this Hopefully entire the time. This. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Helma and her four best girlfriends that were in this sort of coven, they would attend spiritual gatherings and they called themselves the five, which is such a fun <laughs> friendship group name the five i'm truly obsessed yeah right they're so great i think i've been using that word a lot too obsessed i'll stop because we're just obsessed we're just obsessed it's okay you can be obsessed i know <laughs> but i like to believe that i have more variety in my vocabulary so okay pull up the th thesaurus on the side I'm right tickled and every time you want to say i'm obsessed the <laughs> <laughs> glance be like, no, stop. <laughs> Use something else. All right. You're tickled. I'm tickled. I'm tickled. So the five, during their meetings, they would meditate. They would host seances. They would astral travel to other spiritual realms. They would communicate with mystical beings. And they would use psychographs, which I looked up what that was. Yeah, what and it basically that? just looks like a Ouija board. Oh. Like it was a talking board. Okay. They would also practice automatic writing and drawing and just be really cool, badass bitches, badass women, badass witches. Love Hilma them. had been raised Catholic, but she was extremely interested in the occult, specifically Helena Blatovsky's Theosophy, which was a philosophy based in supernatural forces. Oh. So the five women would, I mean, they would do like almost like a combo, like a blend. They would include some prayers and Catholic practices in the beginning. And then they would just like pivot so hard into paganism and, and all of these other really awesome practices and just tap into their own spirituality and try to make sense of the world. And so the five women, they enjoyed communing with the spirit world and trying to understand how new scientific discoveries related to the spiritual realm. So they were trying to make sense of all of the new things that were happening in the world and how this went back to our souls and, and the universe and make sense of just why things are happening so suddenly right. and what these changes mean. And Hilma was so curious about hidden reasons and meanings and what we can extract from what's right in front of us and these recurring patterns in nature, which is why she gravitated a little bit more to drawings and paintings while a lot of other people ended up writing mm -hmm. when doing like the automatic writing and communing with these higher powers. Right. So the five, they wrote in notebooks all about the spirit guides they met, the high masters who formed a council, this spiritual council of sorts. And the names of these high masters were Amalil, Ananda, Clemens, Esther, 
George and Gregor, and there were a few others as well. Okay. But many of these notes that they had written were actually written, so they said, by the spirit guides themselves during trance-like states. So it wasn't necessarily that they were just chronicling and taking notes after sessions. A lot of their notebooks were automatic writing. It reminds me a bit of, so I started reading The Artist's Way, and part of the practice in that book is morning pages. And it's this idea of for for three pages, you just write and you don't think, you don't stop, you just write what comes to your stream of consciousness. And the idea is that, you know, the first maybe five minutes or first two minutes, you are a bit in your head. But then as you keep going, it's just like subconscious flowing through you. And Mm. it kind of reminds me of that where when you get to that meditative state of writing, I'm sure the spiritual realm can come through you. It is like down a dark hall where you open yourself up to creativity. And I very much believe when I'm super creative, I feel like there is energy within me that doesn't exist when I'm just, you know, living my grocery shopping or whatever it is. I mean, it just reminds me too of when you were in Marblehead and there was just so much creativity oozing out of you and you'd been having this block before. And then sometimes things just open up and it all flows out. (laughs) Yep, flows through you. So while some people wrote... Hilma painted. She painted with watercolors, charcoal, crayon, dry pastels, graphite. She used many tools to portray and and depict these messages and images that she saw. After finishing the 193 paintings that went in to the paintings for the temple, she painted almost 200 paintings for this series. Isn't that wild? Wow. She was busy. She was super busy. So after she painted the 193 paintings called the paintings for the temple, she spent the rest of her life trying to figure out what these paintings meant. She annotated them. She edited them. She tried to decode what they could say, a language, a message. What the heck are the masters trying to say? Okay. So you know what? Was there a decipher? Oh, no, No. there wasn't. But there's so many notes and okay. there's there's a lot that we haven't seen yet. So I do believe maybe some things will be uncovered hopefully in our lifetime, if not after that, because there's so m- there are so many paintings and there are so many journals. And in an earlier notebook, Hilma wrote, the pictures were painted directly through me without any preliminary drawings and with oh. great force. I had no idea what the paintings were supposed to depict. Nevertheless, I worked swiftly and surely without changing a single brushstroke. Wow, good for her. I wonder if Hilma mm-hmm. will come back and be reincarnated and her reincarnated soul is the only one that can decipher it. Wow, that would be interesting. Actually, I have a picture here of one of her journals and I just want to show you because she, I mean, plenty of them had a lot of writing, but she also was just trying to decode a bit of what everything meant here too. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll show a better version of this on YouTube, okay. but um, here's the... Oh, oh, whoa. It kind of looks like a bullet journal. So even journal. her journals are beautiful, yeah. right? <laughs> like she just, everything is great yeah. that she does. We're, we're Big very fans. team Hilma. So like I said, after she painted all of those paintings for the temple, she spent a lot of time trying to decipher what those meant. And that is because the voices left her Oh, after she oh. finished painting. The masters no longer came through. She was no longer channeling, or I think she was channeling in a certain way, but she wasn't getting the clear directions that she was before. Instead, she was just feeling like she received direction through her body, through her like spiritual form. Well, because the masters needed her to help to do this specific task. And once she did it, 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Joe said, reached a point where he had completed his life's purpose, which doesn't mean your life is yeah. over, but but you're pivoting. You're pivoting. You're doing something. You've succeeded, and now you get to enjoy life in a, in different, a different way. Okay. Wow. Or have a new perspective. I mean, she kind of obsessed about what these paintings were, and she has thousands of pages of notes about what she thinks it could mean. She described these secret energies, Whoa. energies of atoms and plants, and she was trying to understand the structures, the spherical symbols, all of – she was trying to pull in basically her love of botany and mathematics yeah. and, and understand what she just painted – Her color choices meant something. So yellow represented a male spirit. Mm. Blue represented a female. The reds and pinks represented physical and spiritual love and so on. Oh. Despite her talent, her focus, and her mediumship, Hilma did make one mistake around this time. What? And it was that in 1908, Hilma Ofklint met with a very influential Austrian philosopher named Rudolf Steiner. And this was one of many meetings that she had with him over the years. So he had a bunch of theologies regarding true knowledge and enlightenment and the spiritual world and things that Helma was super interested in. And so these things, his teachings, his beliefs really inspired her. So she was setting up different meetings with him and and talking about these things. Mm -hmm. And at one of the meetings, she showed him the paintings for the temple. Oh, no. And she hadn't finished all of the paintings at this time. So we're actually a few years before where I was just describing us to be. So she was maybe halfway through them. Okay. And he rejected the paintings. He was like, no, this is black magic. This is the occult. I frown upon this. And this destroyed Helma. She was so distraught. She was so upset. She didn't paint for four years. Poor Helma. I know. And do you want to know what happened in these four years? This guy stole her work? It is thought. We don't know for certain, and so I don't want to to have any bad blood with some spirits <laughs> or the ancestors of certain people, but there's a suspicion, there's a rumor, basically, that that's exactly what happened. That's upsetting. So Steiner had photographs and hand-colored renditions of Hilma's artwork that she had given him, and not long after he had these in his possession, he also met with Kandinsky, who is the man who in our history books for a long, long time yeah. was the creator of this art movement. So <sighs> did did uh, Steiner show Kandinsky this abstract art that was created by Hilma? We don't necessarily know for sure. Was it a coincidence? Was it just this man blatantly stealing a woman's ideas? We don't know. But this was a very large hurdle for Hilma. Yeah. And she was distraught for those four years and and whatnot. But she eventually did pick up a paintbrush again and she finished her series, The 193 Paintings. It took nine years, but remember four of those she wasn't painting. So actually she created 193 pieces for the temple in five years. That blows my mind. Mind boggling. Right? Yeah. Hilma continued to paint throughout her lifetime, even after the masters, the high masters went quiet, but she decided to keep her spiritual artwork hidden with the exception of a few very specific spiritualist circles. She would create other pieces, figurative art that were not painted under the direction of high masters. So I guess maybe non-spiritual abstract art and also just some like figurative paintings like portraits and landscapes and stuff like that, which she would sell to make a little bit of money. But what had been painted through clairvoyance was protected. Near her death, she packaged up all of her paintings Mm -hmm. and she told her nephew that he needed to keep her art protected and a secret from everyone for at least 20 years after she died. It's like a time capsule. 
it is. No one can know because the time wasn't right and the world would have to wait. It was not ready. Uh, And to my knowledge, the nephew did just that because her artwork wasn't discovered by her family until the 1960s and she had died in the 40s. So that was 20 20 years after she passed. So they initially offered the artwork to the Stockholm Moderna Musit, the modern art museum in Stockholm, Sweden, as a gift. But the museum said no. Because they remember, said no? Because no one really knew who she was. They were like, you're just trying to give me someone your granny's paintings. Like, what? No. But that's ironic because they said no to it in the 60s. But then in 2013, the same museum was the first to exhibit Hilma off Klint's artwork, which, by the way, these this artwork, many of these canvases are massive. Yeah, the they look like it. The majority of them are, they're like seven and a half by ten and a half feet. So no wonder think it about took the so long. Yeah. Five years. Some paintings. Well, I mean, I mean, even then. I, I didn't mean it she, that way because it's- A little tiny yeah. Hilma is like crawling across the canvas yeah. and painting these giant paintings. And 193 of them in five years. That's like basically a painting a week. You have to be possessed in a yeah. certain way to be able to pull that off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, that's incredible. A, it's super incredible. A foundation has been set up, or it was set up and still exists by a family member, the Hilma Off Klint Foundation. It's in Stockholm, Sweden, where she had been raised as a kid. And it has 1,500 of her drawings and paintings kept there. Wow. A few have been lent out and sold, but her temple series hadn't been displayed until just a few years ago. Not in a temple, but in the Guggenheim Museum in New York City. A white alabaster-colored building, which itself is shaped a bit like a large tower with a spiral internal staircase. I'm going to show you pictures. Oh. Because it is... I was like, Helma, look Kismet. at this. You did it. You did it, Helma. Okay, here's one picture oh, for whoa. you. Looking up. Oh my gosh. And then here are her paintings displayed all around the spiral. Whoa. Tower. Beautiful. You know what it reminds me of? There's, there, I can't remember the name of it, but there is, it's a bit of a conspiracy, but also I think real. There is this puzzle outside of, I think it's the FBI building in, or CIA building in DC. And well, it's like an, it's an art piece, but it's said to be a coded puzzle that mm. if you solve it, you basically, I, I don't know. It's its basically like no one can you're, solve it. You're queen, you're admitted. queen of the CIA. You're admitted into the CIA. <laughs> you're brought oh, I want to go. I want to see if I could solve it. Um, shoot. I want to see what it's called. Please hold. Oh, it's called Cryptos. And it's outside of the CIA. It's a sculpture by American artist Jim Sanborn. And it's, I, I don't know if it's lore or if the artist said this, but... It sits outside of CIA's cafeteria in Langley, Oates, Virginia. And despite efforts from internet sleuths, the NSA and the CIA itself, three of four passages hidden on the puzzle have been decrypted, but one remains elusive. <gasps> Ooh, I wonder if it's online anywhere. You can see photos of it, but it's, it. yeah. I mean, it, it just reminds me of that with these paintings. Like, And I know Hilma couldn't decipher it either, but the master's, mm-hmm are basically creating this for our civilization. It's like solving the Zodiac uh, letters. Although I guess, yeah, I do wonder, since three out of four of those puzzles have been solved, I wonder if the fourth is insolvable and it's just a study of the human psyche, right? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. We need the artist to tell us. And how the heck did the artist create this sculpture? Was Was it through this sort of automatic artwork like Hilma? I don't know. In 2010, it says 
Cryptos artists, I mean, there's so much we could do. Cryptos artists re to reveal rare clue to baffling CIA structure. It holds a decades old CIA mystery. Oh, that is so cool. So cool. I love that. Yeah. Gotta go to Virginia now. Let's go. Gotta look at the sculpture. All right. So over 170 of Hilma's art pieces were displayed here at the Guggenheim in New York City in an exhibit called Paintings for the Future, which I love that they honored basically what the paintings were intended for to yeah. be displayed at least 20 years after her passing. And this was just a few years ago. And her name is still garnering attention. A lot of people don't know her name. 10 years ago, very few people knew who she yeah. was. And now, 80 years after her passing, Hilma's Guggenheim Museum art display was a huge success. So despite so many people having no clue who she was, this was the best attended show in the history of this museum. Whoa. It broke audience records. Over 600,000 visitors went to go see her artwork, art that had never been displayed during her lifetime, art that was rewriting the history of modern art, art that is transcendental. But the Hilma off Clint Foundation owns 99% of Hilma's artwork, and the majority of it has never been seen. So where is it then? Some of it was displayed. It's in Stockholm, Sweden. In like a warehouse? I think so. Yeah. Huh. They're keeping it somewhere. It's in a structure somewhere. Okay. So they're not displaying the majority of it, not unveiling the majority of it. But honestly, I think perhaps that's a good thing. Perhaps it's not the right time. Okay. Because having only been in the spotlight for under a decade, people are already trying to profit off of her art. NFTs of her artwork are now for sale, including her temple series. How? Hilma's nephew's granddaughter said... Quote, even if you don't believe in spirits, everyone carries spiritual beliefs and aspirations for something higher in life. Hilma's paintings speak to us about that. That they're being monetized and itemized and sold as NFTs, it completely goes against the will of Hilma Offclint. You can't make money out of Hilma. Yeah, it, I mean, this is, okay, two things. One, if we believe there's a spiritual aspect, which I do, to Hilma's artwork, then I also believe that these spirits will uh, pay these people a little visit and serve some karma, karmic justice. And then two, I forget two. One second. Give me a second. <laughs> oh, I had a good two. Ugh. Oh, man. I hate when that happens. Okay, wait. What were we just saying? What were we just saying? What did you just say? I said, you can't make money out of Hilma. Damn it. I hate when that happens. Uh, I'm okay, sorry. I forget too. NFTs. If I remember it, I'll let you know. It could come back to yeah. you. Well, to wrap this up, mm -hmm. late last year, a biography was published about Hilma Offklint and a biopic was also released. So whether you choose to watch the film, read about her life, or visit her artwork in person, I'm sure Hilma will appreciate that the high master's messages are finally being seen. Perhaps one of you will decipher the messages in her bewitching yes. paintings. Perhaps you will become enlightened. And just like Hilma off Clint, become a mystic, a visionary, yeah. a witch. Join us on this journey to become a witch. But, oh gosh, I would love if someone could decipher all of that for us in this lifetime. I'm right? just so curious. There's so much. There's so much. I'm sure given how much she annotated and took a ton of notes and that she had four 
best friends also doing that sort of thing. I think I would assume that there's like sort of an order of when she painted everything. But then again, what is time? Like what if the order, what if we're looking at paintings, trying to decode them in the particular order that she drew them in, but it has absolutely nothing to do with order because time as being linear is a construct and it's also just jumbled in. And we basically have to look at 1500 paintings and figure out where they lock into each other. Okay. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. And it kind of relates to this. Okay. So in this case, Hilma, of course, wants the message to be decoded. But I have have a moral, basically, good question. I'm not sure where I stand on this. I recently saw a book. It's Alan Rickman's Diaries, published now as a book. And it brought up this interesting question internally of just how, like, if someone... If I died today and someone found my diaries and journals and decided to publish them, like I would feel that is such an invasion of my privacy. Sure, I'm dead, whatever. But like it feels similar to the Hilma thing, like making yeah. money off of someone who has dis- who has died and basically taking advantage of their work. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, and this is maybe a question I can pose to our listeners, of just what your opinion is on publishing diaries and journals of those who have passed. And again, I say that knowing that with Hilma's work, she wants it to be decoded. So these journals right. are... She was trying to display yeah. it. She was trying to be the the messenger, the right. carrier of a message. But like... Message, whoa. Messenger, yes. But if, if there's no indication of someone being like, oh, when I pass away, here's my journal if you would like to publish it... Is it morally okay to publish said private thoughts? Yeah. I would hard lean on the side of no. Right. I think things, but that, but then it's so hard because it's like, I mean, Alan Rickman's a good example because he is someone who we all grew up watching. Yeah. And loved. Yeah. And he's so, he feels still so present to right now. But then if we found a journal of a little girl who wrote something 700 years ago, of course, it would be displayed in museums. It would be studied. Mm-hmm. It would. So it's hard because it's like, I mean, it's Anne Frank, the line right? From, Diary of Anne Frank. Y- yeah. Yeah. It's like a personal journal. It's so hard because it's like, yeah, it's, it's a personal thing to them. But then like once enough time passes, it feels more historical and to inform the present rather than looking at it as someone's personal belongings and something that's so like deeply personal to them that we shouldn't be peeking in on. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm convincing myself both ways. I feel like I can talk myself in and out of both arguments. I think here's the thing. I'm going to say no until everyone from who was alive at the time of that person being alive is no longer alive. So a few yeah. generations down lineage, you can... Because if I read something from my great-great-grandfather, who I've never met, it would just be just as fascinating to me as everyone else. And I wouldn't take offense to right. it. I guess... And at that point, he might be reincarnated as my dog. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows? He probably won't care either. Yeah. I also wonder, I mean, maybe family members are the ones who are willing to publish it and maybe that's okay. I don't know. I don't know. I do not know. Is it? Yeah. It depends. I think it's case by case basis, right? Yeah. Um, like your journals, I think we would never, ever publish your journals with the one exception of if the money generated from your journals could somehow help every cat in the world, <laughs> then I think you'd be like, sure. Trust me. No one wants to read my journals. I don't, Actually, no. <laughs> I'll, re- I'll reword that. I don't want 
anyone to read my journals. Yeah. Top secret. I don't even like – I don't journal because I don't like reading back on what I said myself. I don't read it back. Uh, I just write. Give myself the it. Yeah. Just write. I feel like now I'm going to start writing my journals in code so that what? similar yeah. to Cryptos, no one will ever Create be some able, web dings. Yeah. No one will be able to decipher it. Remember I sent you a post? Oh, I remember. That you had to decode. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Uh, uh it made me just as happy as when I sent you a postcard from – there was a Harry Potter. Oh, that was good. Remember when yes. I sent you the Harry Potter letter? I worked by a booth and it was like, send someone a, a letter from Hogwarts. You're a great gif- gift I giver. And I did. It doesn't say who it's from. No. It just – they're just send it. Yeah. And then you were like, who the who hell sent me this? I was like, must be Hogwarts. Uh, you're a great gift giver. Um, uh, I, like giving, I like giving you gifts. I just felt the like exhaustion hit me. So I can't wait for how fun the story reading is going to go. <laughs> okay. This is from our listener, Dusty, and it's called How the Supernatural Inspired My Career. Hello, gals, ghouls, and Princess Leia. My name is Dusty, and I wanted to share some of the spooky, heartwarming, terrifying paranormal experiences I've had that brought me to having a career as a horror tattooer slash artist so cool so cool and dusty what a job dusty also um attached some of their artwork in the bottom so i'll ask for permission if we can share some of it because it's really cool first let me thank you for creating a safe space for all of us spooky critters to share stories and have open conversations on spooky topics as a year-round spooky kid your podcast is a godsend So let me set the scene with a little background on me. I've always had some sort of connection to everything spooky and supernatural, a sensitive, if you will. I don't actively talk or contact spirits, but I do see them often and have pretty overwhelming empath abilities. It mostly started out as just getting feelings and whatnot from time to time, but then I had my first real paranormal experience when I was six years old on vacation in California with my parents. We went there often, and one particular time we were there and sitting on a bench waiting for the trolley bus to pick us up and take us somewhere to do something fun. My mom allowed me to bring one toy with me to keep me busy while waiting, and I chose this little toy motorcycle with a rider action figure guy on top. His arms could move, but the rest of him was stuck in a sitting down position, as that's the position for riding a motorcycle. So I sat him beside me on the bench, and we were sitting there. And I remember pointing across the street at something to show my parents, and I saw slight movement out of the corner of my eye. I looked down at my little dude, and his right arm went down at the same time mine did. I thought it was weird, but I didn't think much of it because it was an old toy, and maybe the tension that kept his arms up was just wearing away. But then again, I lifted my arm up, and for some reason, so did his. Now I was beginning to get weirded out. So as my parents chatted about the plans of the day— I lifted both arms, this time looking at the toy, and both of his arms went up as well. Ew! (laughs) This is so creepy. I know, but I also kind of... It feels like something so exciting as a kid, but I think any kid who actually sees it would be terrified. It's very Toy Story. Yes, it is terrifying, but it is... It's a nightmare. But it does make me think like, oh, this toy is just excited and copying. It's almost like a little brother, right? Or a little sibling who just copies everything you do. You're not convinced. You're just like, no. <laughs> I've had too many nightmares about my American Girl doll killing me in the woods. Yeah, fair. To enjoy this. <laughs> um, Dusty says, 
I was thoroughly creeped out and I put him back on the motorcycle and put him in my pocket. Ain't no time for my toys to come to life. So (laughs) with that introduction out of the way, I will get into the first time I saw a spirit. I was about eight or nine and was at my grandmother's house for the day because my parents were working. So I would stay there till they got off pretty much every day. My grandmother was my absolute best friend and I love spending time with her. She was a pretty typical big mama or stay-at-home grandmother. I remember her always wearing a purple or blue moo-moo. This is the second time we've heard of a moo-moo, and I've never heard of it until a couple of our listeners shared it. Oh, a moo-moo? Is it like a robe? Is it just like a robe? Okay. Yeah. I, I just have never heard that term. And we would always sit and talk, and she would let me drink coffee with her, and my parents didn't know about it, so it was our little secret. We'd sit on her porch that was in a wonderful country town in Virginia. She had a large tree that overhung the porch, and during certain times of the year, tons of those little brown and black woolly caterpillars would be on the porch that came off of the tree, and she hated them. She told me that every time I saw them, I should kill them. This was the last thing she ever said to me, because right there beside me, after saying this to me, she had a heart attack and passed away. Obviously, this was devastating for me as she was my best friend in the whole wide world and also for it to happen right in front of Dusty. Oh, that's so hard. Days went past and it came time for her service. We had it in the town that we lived in and I attempted to go, but once inside, I panicked and ran out to a nearby playground because I couldn't handle it. Maybe six months or so went by and my parents had gotten to the point where they were comfortable enough to let me stay home by myself. So one of those days I was sitting in the living room watching TV and there's a clear view of the kitchen and back door from where I was sitting out of the corner of my eye. I saw what looked like a light shimmering the way it looks when you shine a light through a prism. I just figured it was the sun catching one of my mom's wind chimes outside, but then the light moved directly to the center of the hallway that led to the kitchen. It was the brightest light I've ever seen. It wasn't in the shape of a figure or anything, just an undulating, vivid, bright light, a purplish blue light. I wasn't Mm. a brave kid and was generally scared of everything, but this time I wasn't scared. A wave of warm calmness swept over me and I felt comfort. I knew it was my best friend letting me know that she was okay and that I'd be okay. After a second of hovering there, she disappeared. And since then, I feel the veil has thinned for me and I became a sensitive. I have a lifetime's worth of spooky stories and happenings, I'm the resident spooky storyteller with my friends and also known to them as a male witch. I've never liked the word warlock, so male witch it is. As a child, I was definitely scared of everything, but over the years, having encountered so much, I came to love everything dark and spooky. Us too, Dusty. So, so much so that it's the main subject of my art now. But since this email is already a mile along, I will wrap up with a story of the time a demon sent me to the ER. Oh, God. (laughs) Dusty. (laughs) It went from a scary story to like a a heartwarming but also still sad story. And now we're going to end on a demon one. Back to scary. And then we'll show some cool art. Great. Okay. I was in my mid-20s. I'm now in my 30s. And I was staying with my parents over the holidays. It was two days after Christmas of that year. I was asleep in my room. And it was around 2.30 a.m.-ish. I wasn't dreaming previously, but I woke up to what I thought was a person attacking me, beating on my torso. As soon as I opened my eyes, I saw a black, solid shadow person for a split second on top of me, beating on my chest. (gasps) Oh! But almost as soon as my eyes opened, it disappeared. 
I then got the most intense pain in my chest that I have ever felt. I quickly got up and thought maybe if I walked outside into the cold winter air, it would make me snap out of whatever I was feeling, but it didn't work. So I came back inside and then my memory goes dark. My mom said she heard the commotion and came downstairs to see what was going on. She says that she found me on the living room floor, apparently somewhat passed out. She said she got me up and I was clenching my chest. And then she told me she was either rushing me to the hospital or calling an ambulance. I apparently told her she could take me because in quotes, my mama didn't raise no bitches. LOL. (laughs) The hospital was maybe a 25 minute drive. And during the drive, the pain intensified greatly. Once there, they treated me as they would a heart attack victim and rushed me back and immediately began testing, taking blood, hooking me up to different machines. But apparently everything Mm -hmm. came back normal and clean, and they could not tell why I was still exhibiting heart attack-like symptoms. That's even scarier too, because you want you want an answer, right? Yes. Like you you're at the place where people are supposed to know the answers and to save you. Right. But with everything coming back normal, they got us into a room to monitor me. The pain kept getting worse to the point where I eventually passed out. When I woke up hours and hours later, my active memory finally came back. This is also when the on-call doctor first came in. I remember him telling me that he could clearly tell I had been in great pain, but truly had no diagnoses for me since all of my tests and blood came back 100% normal. So he sent us home. I fell asleep as Mm -hmm. soon as we got home and slept for what I am told was about 13 hours. But, (laughs) But when I arose from that hibernation, I felt nothing. No pain, no lingering effect, nothing. I felt strangely good and stronger. I sat on all of this and didn't tell anyone exactly what had happened to me. I just told friends that I had a weird chest infection because it's not often you can tell people that you were attacked by a demon and ha- and not have them look at you like you're insane. It's it's making me think that Dusty's astral being was his soul was attacked so viciously by this shadow figure that he then had to basically be like repaired in the astral plane. Hence why he slept for 13 right? hours. He went to the astral hospital. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that can cure him from this, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So sometime after the ER trip, I started working as an apprentice in my career as a horror tattoo artist and illustrator. I'll attach some work for you guys to check out. And I was making my weekly run to the big art store to get drawing supplies. I was looking at stuff on an end cap at the back of the store with a straight on view to the front entrance of the store. And I just happened to be looking at the entrance when I noticed this man make a beeline straight towards me. He approached me with a smile and handed me a business card with the name of a church on it and said, you need to come and walked away. I thought it was weird, but I was like, maybe he just sees this young kid covered in tattoos and thought this dude needs some Jesus, LOL. So I put the card in my pocket and kept shopping. But a few days later, I was headed home pretty late, like 2 or 3 a.m., and stopped at the ATM to grab cash for the following day. There was no one around. It was so late. But just before I finished my transaction, I noticed an older man walking towards me, wearing an all-black suit with a wide-brim black hat, walking with a cane. I thought, this is super weird for him to be walking during this hour. And he approached me with a smile and handed me a card for a church and said, take a guess. You need to come. The same words as the man the other day. Puzzled, I looked down at the card and when I looked up, the man was just gone. 
I stood there in a state of confusion, wondering what the hell was going on. How could, in the span of just a few days, I get approached by two different men trying to get me to attend their churches? I don't live in a particularly religious area or anything. And what's stranger is while trying to show friends the cards the next day, they both had just disappeared. Just gone. So I did some research. Oh. and Oh. I know. That freaks me out. So I did some research and talked to some sensitives of a higher caliber than myself and learned that because I was going through a rough patch in life, my soul apparently was in the balance and both sides were volleying for it. And we all know that's when demons like to come for you when you're at your weakest. I don't know which side each of the old men represented, but it was clear to me that there was indeed a battle for who would get me. Learning this, it fully explained my being attacked and gave me some peace on the situation. I feel like I've grown from it spiritually, and it just reaffirmed my love and curiosity of everything dark and spooky. Thanks for all you guys do for the spooky community. We truly appreciate it. See you ladies on the other side. Dusty. Dusty, I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. This is what in the world? Right? The, okay. So the people who were asking him to join their church, basically, my assumption was that those were the demonic beings trying to lure... Oh, you think both of them were demonic? Dusty in. I kind of did. Interesting. I don't know. It was just making me think like kind of like in disguise, like a trickster. That's why I was thinking that. Because I feel like you don't need to be – many people don't need to be lured to the light. You you want to go – Right. Tend to go that way. And so you need more influences to pull you into the dark. Right. I don't know. I mean, it seems like the dark pulling him in was the entity banging on his chest. And then like you even mm-hmm. said that – Maybe he was healed in the astral plane. Like there was some good at work. Yeah. Huh. Or maybe to go back to the my favorite show from the 90s, Touched by an Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. I watched so much of that when I was four. Um, it was – I don't know why I watched so much of it. <laughs> I think it was like one of the shows my mom was like, okay, we could watch this together, I guess, late night when I was up. But it just makes me think like what if this – what if on the flip side, mm-hmm. these beings – that came and asked Dusty, like, come with us. Here's my card. Think about this. Maybe there was no intention at all for them to do anything. It was just for them to check up oh, on Dusty. Interesting. You know? It's a nice idea. Just a little knock, knock. How you doing, buddy? See how you're doing. Get a little temperature check, a read. Are you computing? Is everything yeah. okay? Do I see a dark creature attached to your the back of your shoulders? Or are yeah. you good? It, what scares me the most is that an entity can have this much of a negative impact or physical impact mm-hmm. on a human body. Like, I feel like so often it's just like, oh, you see the spirit, you get a bad energy, bad vibe. But it's really rare when they physically interact with you and cause damage and harm in this way. Yeah. I know these are the stories that are that stick with me, right? It's it's the spirits that do inflict actual physical pain in this world. Yeah. Or appear uh, it appears it manifests physically. Yeah. Whatever is done to you. Yeah. I mean the fact that the e like, there were so many witnesses, so many the whole emergency room that didn't know the hospital it had no answers. Tis Man, a mystery. Dusty, we're just as puzzled as you are. <laughs> Tis a mystery, but hey, it's a mystery. It's I am glad that Dusty is now bringing his uh, spooky horror art into the world. Mm-hmm. Did you see my soul leave my body because the exhaustion has crept in and I all energy has like... <laughs> uh, okay. Well, it's time to say toodaloo night, to everyone. 
that night, it's like here on the West Coast. People can see that it's light out in my video. <laughs> it's like 5 p.m. here. Uh, but Sabrina needs a nap. Yeah, my eyes. And twitching. I think everyone should start napping. We let's bring back siestas. Let's yes, not even bring let's back. They introduce exist everywhere them. else. They don't exist. Yeah, here. Why? Let's do it. Starting now, <sighs> so you can go. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you for joining us. Please send us your ghost stories, your encounters with anything strange and unusual. Let me know if you have tan lines permanently on your boobs and on your butt. Email us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are obsessed with you and slash enchanted and captivated. Those are the words that I will use as synonyms. <laughs> so thank you for being a part of our coven. Yes. You can also check out the show notes wherever you're listening to get links to our socials and figure out other ways to support our show. Yeah. Uh, and also thank you to the team at Upfire Digital for editing yes. our video. Thank you. And our audio. Yes. Every week. Yes. We appreciate you. And, and we, we will, will see you on, on the, the other side. side. Very smooth.